Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Meredith. Hi, Mare. Hello. Hello. Hi. I'm ready. So we're going to jump right into today's case, yeah? We are, and I'm going in blind again. So I'm going to get started. Okay, go for it. All right. Michelle Walker was born on July 13th, 1972. She was the third oldest of five children. Her family moved to Yonkers, New York in 1974. In 1987, she was 14 and a ninth grader at Emerson Junior High School. Her friends called her Mishi. On June 6, 1987, her mom sent her to a local store and pizza place for a carton of milk and a pizza. She was repeatedly told by her parents not to walk through the woods, even though it was a shortcut. That night at 5 p.m., she walked through the woods, got to the store, and got the items that she wanted. Then she started the walk home through the woods and never made it home. Her mother. You know what's so weird about this? So you know that my twin brother's in town. Uh huh. And we were literally talking about this this weekend, how when we used to go to, you know, to different people's houses in, in the neighborhood. So in our neighborhood in New Rochelle, where we grew up, there was Nature Study Woods. And I was just saying to him, don't you remember cutting through the woods to get to people's houses? And I'm like, we didn't even realize how dangerous that was. It's dangerous. I go through there now if I'm going for a walk and I wouldn't even do that alone as an adult. But I also kind of remember that it was kind of a controversial place. Like things, bad things happened in there too. But what we in heard. the 80s, right, in what we heard, what was actually true is a different story. But I went to explore. Like yes. I was always looking for... Dead bodies? <laughs> yeah. I, I was always exploring and investigating and I just feel like that's what we did so mm -hmm. anyway back to the case so michelle is how old she's 14 so she didn't okay. turn 15 so she's yet. 14 years old she yes. goes through the woods to go to the store comes back through the woods but never comes back her mother called all of michelle's friends looking for her she also thought from a past incident that the police were going to tell her to wait 24 hours before reporting her missing so she waited now, this isn't a rule. It's basically based on the specific circumstances. So given Michelle's mm -hmm. age and a lack of history of running away, the police probably would have taken it seriously and began searching immediately. Now, can I ask a dumb question? Yep. You had said that she went through the woods. She got the stuff. So we definitely know that she purchased the stuff from the store. Yes. The next day at around 2 p.m., an 11-year-old boy was playing in the woods right behind Michelle's apartment building, and he found her body. She was mm. fully clothed except for her shoes. Her cash and jewelry were missing. Hmm. The medical examiner said that she died from having her nose and mouth covered, so she was suffocated. She was also okay. sexually assaulted. Oh. Her time of death is between 6.30 and 8.30 Friday night. Another question. Do we know what time of year again this was? This is June. Okay. So I was just trying to think, is it light out? Is it dark out? So it's still light out. It was probably still light out. There was a $1,500 reward for information, which was partially supplied by the store and pizza shop that she went to that night. I thought that was nice. They felt responsible. Nice, yeah. 
The sure. Yonkers police interviewed and followed many leads, including Michelle's own uncle, but nothing panned out and the case went cold. So now we're going to talk about Patricia England. Patricia England was born on January 1st, 1969. She lived in Yonkers, New York. On New Year's Day, she was 19 years old. It is reported that she was last seen on New Year's Eve at 11 p.m. I also found more reports that on New Year's Day, she borrowed a pair of shoes from a family friend that was staying with her family. She then headed out. Do we have a year here? So this is 1988 or New Year's Eve, 87 into 88. Okay. So around the same time that this happened to Michelle. A couple months later. So she borrows the shoes. She then heads out to celebrate her birthday with a friend, and she vanished. Either either way, she vanishes, right? Her mother did not report her missing until February 6th. What? So at first, in the papers, the first reports said that the mother would not comment on why she waited. But in later reports... Her mother said that she waited over a month to report her missing because Patricia had been known to disappear for long periods of time. I mean, she's 19. I She's 19. Don't know that a month. Still, though, if my mom hadn't heard from me for a month. I don't even think two nights my mother would kill me. I know. That's strange. And this was in Yonkers also? Yes. Okay. You didn't say that. On February 7th, 1988, so her mom reports her missing February 6th. The next day, February 7th, at 1 p.m., Patricia's body was found by people walking by. She was lying face down and was naked from the waist up. Her sweater and jacket were found near the body. She was found in Greenberg, so the Yonkers police did not head this investigation. I'm not sure if it would have made a difference because obviously these cases are all connected if I'm doing them all. But this also shows why the dots weren't connected. We've seen that in other cases. Right. When they're not the same jurisdiction. People are not. Right. They're not communicating with each other. You know, and computers for law enforcement are not. This. Yeah. Right. Well, the other strange part to me is that her mom reports her missing and then the next day she's found. I know. I thought and that it's was... not even by police. It's by just people walking by. Right. So it's January and February. Her body was frozen, which made determining the date and time of death extremely difficult. The cause of death was difficult to determine as well because there were no visible injuries to her body. The medical examiner did confirm that she was sexually assaulted and most likely died of asphyxiation. So I'm wondering if there's no physical marks potentially from covering someone's nose and mouth, right? Or maybe there I, is. I would make that assumption, yes, depending on how hard they... Right. I, I would think yes, yeah. Well, sadly, it was also determined that she was a few months pregnant at the time Uh. of her death. So for this case, the investigators believe that the crime scene occurred at a different place and the killer later transported the body to the location. Now, at first, Patricia's boyfriend was considered a suspect, but he was ruled out because his blood did not match the the semen sample taken from the body. So they are collecting Mm. DNA here. Right. But again, we know that DNA in 1988 is not a way that they're going to identify someone yet. 
I jumped from the mother reporting it to the police to the body being found the next day. I felt like a police officer was involved because she reported it and he's like, I got to get rid of the body and just dumped it somewhere. But that was me. I'm I'm still wondering, is that a coincidence? I don't know. Or is it somebody within her family that now knows the mom reported it and now, you know, I got, I, I, I don't know. Knows they're going to come around looking. Hmm. Right. Well, the last case we're going to talk about here is Lisa Gibbons. And she grew up in Manhattan. Her parents separated. And in 1974, her dad moved to Tuckahoe, New York. Lisa moved to Tuckahoe in 1987 or 88 because Mm. she told people that the city was too dangerous. She lived near her father and she actually lived in the same apartment complex, but not the same buildings. So they were very close, but not in the same exact building. She had recently found a new job as a medical offices receptionist in Hartsdale, which is just a few train stops from Tuckahoe. On July 17, 1990, she was heading to work. She's 25 years old at this time. On her way to the train, she usually walked a path near the Bronx River Parkway. It's a bicycle path. So she was Mm -hmm. attacked near the Crestwood train station. Her attacker ripped through her clothing and sexually assaulted her and tossed her pantyhose aside. He beat her in the face and shot her once in the back of the head with a shotgun. She was discovered by a bicyclist at around 9 a.m. You know what's crazy about that? Hmm. I know exactly where that is. Mm -hmm. That's scary. It just makes it more real. Now, it's kind of strange, right? Because these are all the same, around the same time frames. But now the nature of this one seems to be a little bit different than the other two. Good, Mare. What? They talk about that, how like the M.O. is so different. He didn't use a gun before and now he's using a gun. And He or she. He or she. So like connecting these three cases, which they are connected. Would be very hard because they are not, they're similar in time frame. They're similar because they're all women. But the manner in which these victims were killed definitely is different. Maybe, you know, the first two are similar, but this one is very different because it was much more violent to me. And they're generally in the same area, but not in the same exact area. You know what I mean? Like they're definitely close. Listen, if if you're walking, right, from one place to the other in these specific towns that we're talking about, it's long. But if you're talking about in the grand scheme of things and somebody who would be attacking people, it's not a large radius. Correct. It's pretty close in proximity to each other. Also, the um, ages. I feel like the 14-year-old and then to jump to a 25-year-old is... 14, 19, and 25 is, again, I guess maybe we'll learn about this person, but, you know, what is causing them to zero in on these women? Is it just that they happen to see them or are they looking or so let's see what happens. Because remember, I don't know anything. So this is just what I'm surmising. When Lisa was found, she was wearing a black navy and white dress and high heels. Robbery was suspected because there was no ID, wallet, or purse found with her. 
Like I said, her face was badly beaten, so she was not immediately identifiable. At around 10.15 that morning, her father, still not knowing that his daughter was murdered, gets a call from her work letting him know that she didn't show up. He then grew suspicious Mm. and contacted the police, which is when he found out. They put the pieces together. Oh, my God. Westchester County Board of Legislators offered a $10,000 reward because the murder took place on county property. So they felt obligated to contribute. Okay. Now, first, the police look into her live-in boyfriend at the time, and I'm just going to call him MV. He had an alibi for 7.30 to 9.30 a.m. The alibi was that he was at a work meeting and others verified that. Then he asked for a lawyer and would no longer answer questions. Even though this is everyone's right, it does make the police suspicious. During the investigation, Mm. the police discovered that MV and Lisa were fighting in the weeks leading up to her murder, and she had even told some friends that she was planning on moving out. MV had told the police that he and Lisa ate dinner together the night before, but the medical examiner did not find the dinner in her stomach contents during the autopsy. Hmm. When MV left for his meeting that morning, he said that Lisa was getting dressed for work, but her mother said that the dress and the heels that she was found in would not be something that she wore to work. The police also looked at the fact that her shoes were neatly placed next to her body and her white coat was folded neatly under her body as evidence that someone that cared about her committed the murder. They also noted Mm. an I'm not sure the significance, but this is reported, so I'm going to report it to you. The watch she was wearing stopped at 2 o'clock. Once MV was sort of ruled out by his pretty good alibi, the police focused on DS. It came out that he was secretly dating Lisa while she was still living with MV. He also had an alibi, but a shaky one. He was a carpenter, and he said that he was in Chappaqua installing a door. Now, the owners of the house verified that the door was installed that day, but they could not verify the time. He also had a prior arrest for holding an unloaded gun to his then-wife's head and pulling the trigger during an argument. The police Mm. pursued him and searched his truck, his father's house, and confiscated his father's guns. Meanwhile, since Lisa had been sexually assaulted, there was semen. The DNA from the semen did not match DS. So now they bring their focus back to MV. In 1995, the court ordered that he turn over his DNA, and that also was not a match. Now, all three of these cases go cold. In 2000, another suspect comes to light, Patrick Baxter. Now, he's 31 years old and in jail serving time for reckless endangerment and possession of stolen property. As part of the routine, his DNA was taken and put in a database. His DNA came back as a match for all three samples left behind for Michelle, Patricia, and Lisa. Wow. And that would make him how old at the time? He was, I believe, 18 for Michelle. If it's the year 2000 and he's only 31, he was, if this is the guy, the culprit, then he was pretty young when he committed the crimes. Mm -hmm. Well, here are his ties to Michelle. Three days after Michelle was found, Patrick Baxter accompanied his mom to the police station for an interview because a witness saw him leaving the woods where she was found. The witness said that he had twigs in his hair and on his clothing. Baxter had a history of violence. Years before Michelle's murder, he captured and sexually assaulted an eight-year-old girl. 
At what age? <sighs> Jesus. 15, 16, maybe. Ugh. So I did see it reported that the police, when he came with his mom, the police actually never interviewed him. The investigating officers weren't present when he came to the station, so he went home and it just wasn't followed up on. At the time, wow. the then 18-year-old Baxter was living at an apartment in the neighborhood which overlooked the trail where Michelle was murdered. Mm. So now jumping to Patricia, her boyfriend had previously worked with Baxter at an auto repair shop in Yonkers where they befriended each other. And through the boyfriend, Patrick learned about and met Patricia. As for Lisa, he came across her by chance. His only connection to the area was hanging out with some friends occasionally at the Crestwood train station. So he really didn't have any connections to her. But the other two, it looks right. like he may have more specifically targeted them. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. What a monster. Baxter's cousin told the police that he owned a shotgun similar to the one that killed Lisa. He also told the police that he saw Baxter in possession of Lisa's ID. Now, an Eastchester doctor told the police that he heard the gunshot and then saw a man with a pronounced flat top running from the path where Lisa was found. And that was the style that Baxter wore his hair at the time. Also, Lisa's credit card was found one block from Baxter's apartment. He was charged mm -hmm. with second-degree murder on November 15, 2000. And he could face up to 25 years to life for each murder. He pled not guilty, which amazes me, but I guess it's a strategy. Okay. I'm like in shock here because I can't believe that somebody that young could kill three people. It wasn't like, you know, young kid makes a stupid mistake mm -hmm. or, you know, kills one person. This, this, this guy is a complete predator at a very young age. And when I'm researching these, I start at the beginning with newspaper articles. So I don't really know how it's going to play out. I kind of just read all the articles. I was actually thinking it was the boyfriend or the secret boyfriend of Patricia. And somehow he right. just knew Michelle. You know, like that's where my head was going. So the jury did deliberate for 12 hours over three days. And they did find him guilty. So he was sentenced to 25 years to life for each one. So he ends up with 75 years to life. At his sentencing, he said, no matter what they tell you and no matter what it seems, I'm not guilty of any of these crimes. I'm sorry for the pain these families have suffered. I'm not guilty of these crimes. Let that sink in. Everything is not what it seems. I know the pain these families have gone through, but it has not been by my hand. Hmm. Was there a DNA match? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You can't deny, we're going to get shirts, you can't deny DNA. I agree. There was a little side note here, which was interesting, but I think this guy was just a kook. In April of 2002, an inmate named Stephen Kassler came forward, and he was in Ohio, I think, or Louisiana, or I don't even, Kentucky, somewhere else. And he told police that he killed Lisa when she was being sexually assaulted by Patrick Baxter. So that Baxter didn't kill her. He just happened upon the scene and shot her in the head. What? So stupid. So he made made this up. He later said he made it all up because he wanted to bargain, like reduce sentence. He, you yeah. know, claimed to have been involved in other murders. I don't know why he would think that would help his case. That. But 
Who he's knows? Not the but, sharpest tool in the shed. Obviously, he's right. in. Uh, okay, so let's say Baxter didn't kill one of them, right? It, he still raped them, right? And they didn't even know each other. It's not helping anybody. Like this guy, Stephen Kessler, has inserted himself in other cases, so he's just a kook. Yeah, but it was part right. of it's part of the story. At the sentencing, Patricia's sister, you know, they, all the families got to do impact statements, but Patricia's sister said. We are here today not for justice, but to ensure that you, Patrick Baxter, will never be free again. Never. When you go to sleep at night, know you will die in that bed. I liked that. Yeah. You know what's even scarier to me? That we were 12 years old, 12, 13, around this time Mm -hmm. in these areas. Oh, yeah, just roaming around. It's just a matter of being in the the wrong place at the wrong time, knowing the wrong people. Because in in the last, the third case, it was just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But this guy wanted to kill. That really was, he robbed and all of that. But I don't think he's raping and murdering to get their wallet. He's just a cold-blooded killer. I had never even heard of this. I hadn't either. So what is the current status of him? He's in jail. Yeah. Right. And again, kind of a just a final thought in this. With the introduction and the advancements in DNA technology, a lot of these cold cases are, are now finally getting connected and solved. So... You know, and and it's the opposite too, right? So a lot of people who were falsely imprisoned, DNA has helped in that. But it's also, you know, the advancements have helped solve a lot of these cases. And and you know, for these families, I would think that, you know, it's 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 some kind of closure for them. But very sad because, like we said before, you know, these cases were different. The races were different and they were killed in different towns but they were killed again they're they're pretty close to one another i wouldn't say these towns are far from each other at all so um thank god for dna and 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 i know it sounds crazy but thank god he committed auto theft because they probably would have never found him right which is crazy to me and very very scary very scary so that's all i have to say about that okay and he is exactly where he should be yes he is um so we had talked a while ago about listening to a podcast they had reached out to us to kind of swap promos and it's murder incorporated and it's a couple of guys they're friends they live in new york they live up the line but they don't do just new york cases so they're just Two guys sitting around talking about true crime, which, you know, there's a billion of them, but give these guys a listen. Well, two guys. We're two girls. You know, people who listen to these podcasts, they just, again, it's it, people love to listen to them. And if I'm listening to one, I'll listen to them like I just have an AirPod in and I'm just listening as I'm cleaning the house or food shopping and I can blow right. through all the episodes and then I'm always looking for like a new one. So right. if you're right. looking for a new one after you've listened to all of ours, <laughs> except maybe listen the first 10, don't ever right. listen to the first 10 again. <laughs> listen, sometimes we're good. Sometimes we're bad. Mm-hmm. 
But we're real. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we'll be back next week. All right. Sing or no? Uh, Nefarious New York. Oh, wait. We need a genre. Uh, rock. Heavy metal. (laughs) Nefarious New York! (laughs) Uh, now you've just blown everyone's eardrums. All right, we'll be back in a week. (laughs) We're gonna gonna cut that one out. (laughs) Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm out. I'm a froggy. <laughs> I'm Allison. <laughs> and I'm Meredith. <laughs> and I'm the exorcist. Come on. Mm-hmm.